2: If you want a vision of the future, Winston, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. You want answers? I think I'm entitled You want
1: answers! I want
2: the truth! You can't handle the truth! Someone is
3: trying to teach me a lesson in futility.
2: Why am I the only one who isn't killed? They will run you dizzy. They will pile falsehood on top of falsehood until you can't tell a lie from the truth and you won't even want to. That's how the powerful keep their power. Don't you read the papers? I just want to say one word to you.
4: Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening?
3: Yes, sir, you Plastics. I'm going to get your money for you. But if you don't get the President of the United States on that phone, you know what's going to happen to you? What?
2: You're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company. The world is a college of corporations. Inexorably determined by the immutable bylaws of business. The world is a business, Mr. Beale.
3: It has been since man crawled out of the slime.
4: Welcome to another episode of Our Interesting Times. It's my pleasure to have Jay Dyer back on the show. Of course, Jay is the uh, proprietor of the uh, recently resurrected Jay's Analysis, mm-hmm. Jay'sAnalysis.com. <laughs> right? You, still, you kept that. Uh,
3: that, that yeah, already. everything everything the same. It's just uh, it's, it's it's a lot better now.
4: So okay, now it's back up, and yes, I've uh, it is good. I'm accessing the site, taking in some of the information there, and of course, you are the author of Esoteric Hollywood, Sex Cults, and Symbols in film, and also the soon-to-be-released Esoteric Hollywood 2, right?
3: Correct. Uh, early, mid-December. Early I don't have an exact date yet, but as uh, soon as I get a date, everybody will know.
4: So this is just in time for Christmas. Correct. That was the same thing a couple years ago, wasn't it? Wasn't it around Christmas time the book came out, or am I mistaken? It
3: was. Yeah, that's right. It was right before 2017, correct.
4: Now, if they order it directly from your website, are you still doing the signing thing? Can, can we I will that? correct okay yeah. cool good look out for that then okay so we will uh look look very much look forward to that in the coming month i know i i'll i'll get my copy at least um of course at jaysanalysis.com uh you can subscribe it's 4.95 a month 60 dollars a year
3: it is yeah and the i think the renovated site has has helped the subscribers so that's increased things are looking on the up and uh yeah we got uh you know a pretty substantial archive uh the only thing that still isn't fixed on the site is a lot of the old art, uh, essays that i wrote which there was a lot of those uh some of those are still uh broken links and kind of missing so mm-hmm. I, I still have a lot of old stuff to to fix which i, I do plan to do but uh it's basically all, all up and running so
4: okay well, that's good you uh, pretty much up and running uh, i guess you irritated somebody or something and <laughs> <laughs> the ai i don't know the ai uh censor i don't know who's doing this
3: well there were so. certain topics yeah that uh pressure was put on wordpress to no longer be champions of free speech for <laughs> yeah so yeah
4: it just seems like all across the board a lot of these and corporate... uh,
3: yeah i don't i won't go too deep into it but basically it was uh a an event that uh, a recent event a big event you know one of those kinds of oh yeah and even you're, yeah i'm not allowed you're not no longer allowed to post on that yeah it's video. strange it is strange because
4: I had a couple uh videos on those events mm-hmm. where it was either talked about or you know just yes and, and they are two three years old, and they were pulled. so they mm-hmm. that i mean that is strange it just just because of that topic i just mm-hmm. you know it begs the question it really right so. so anyway well tonight uh you you uh recently did a couple of videos um reviewing some books that you have read and um well recently you did a video called cold war propaganda and cia's doctrinal warfare program using churches and you brought in this in this discussion an article you sent me a while back and i i looked at it briefly this afternoon about some of the intrigues and manipulating divisions within the orthodox church particularly with with greece and the ukraine and This is sort of perhaps geopolitical maneuvering against Russia. Mm -hmm. And then I guess this maybe this got you thinking about some of this other material that you've been reading, particularly David Wilmhoff's book. Correct. The Catholic Church. And, uh, well, I'll let you take it from there uh, about the sort of manipulation, this uh, divide and conquer within religions, also manipulation within these churches, the doctrinal corruption of these churches through the intelligence agencies, agencies, uh, magazines, media, these things of the West. So, So go ahead. So what do we got here?
3: Well, yeah, I think also too another article that uh, came out uh, maybe a week or two ago uh, was written by Neil Clark, who's a yeah, he writes for RT. And uh, Patrick sent me a, a really good article he wrote about the death of John Paul I First uh, and the Cold War, and it was it was really insightful. It was a, a, an interesting angle that doesn't really fit into the normative, you know, uh, Cold War style. Uh, narrative of of the death of John Paul that we usually hear, and even Western conspiracy-oriented books, you know, have tended to paint that as a some sort of KGB Cold War plot. But uh, as Neil Clark argues in his his excellent uh, RT op-ed piece, that really only benefited the West. And I think if you look at it from that angle, that article uh, harmonizes very well with with what's in Wemhoff's book and uh, some of the arguments that I was making in my talk and Stuff that that I was seeing and coming across just in my own experience, you know, in the world of, of orthodoxy, and um, uh, it, you know, this is a very difficult, hairy subject in the 20th century, particularly with the the whole history of uh, you know the <clears throat> the emigres, the White Russians uh, being, uh, you know, given uh, solace in the West. You know, if they leave uh, the Bolsheviks, they were given. And there were different periods when the the white Russians and others who who fled the Bolsheviks were allowed to come to the West. And so one of the problems that this created was the idea that, oh, well, since the Bolsheviks are bad, that must then mean that you know the CIA and MI6 and these people that are inviting uh, Russian refugees, I guess you could say, to the West, that must make them the good guys. And so there's a similar story then between what happened with my argument, or what what I'm starting to see, is is a similar pattern, a similar story between the subversion of the Catholic Church in the 20th century through uh, the means and and methods of what Wimhoff describes, and what we're seeing in Orthodoxy as well. So, so certainly we agree that the Cold War uh, was was uh, was on one level bad news, but at a higher level, uh, dialectical manipulation. And certainly that doesn't mean any of the the countries that persecuted uh you know religious institutions were good right? mm-hmm. there, there are plenty of martyrs plenty of people that were that were put to death by communism so we're not i'm not at all trying to vindicate that but what we were sold was the story which which again you know when you were giving your analysis of nato and the paper that i think you said you'd written on nato you know you came to see that <clears throat> the the justifications of nato really ran their course and they didn't it, it no longer served its purpose but it, yet it continued to have this this uh offensive this this uh forward moving operation against russia and even after the cold war even after when it's it supposedly ran its course it's still you know it's still surrounding russia it's still making these moves and as many people have noticed even e michael jones people who uh you know don't have the same views as me people have independently kind of come to a lot of the same conclusions that, that wait a minute what we were sold by these neocons in the cold war what we were told by these people in Rand corporation who's essentially the masterminds of the cold war uh has really led now to a situation where if you're not promoting globo tranny everywhere right <laughs> you're you're an enemy of freedom and so when i was really getting deeper and deeper into geopolitics back around uh, 2012 13 14 i was watching color revolutions and uh i was you know pretty pretty heavily steeped in, in geopolitical issues by 2014 when the coup happened in the ukraine and i remember I, w- I just linked up with patrick and was was writing for 21st century wire and i was noticing uh, yeah, I think he had Mark Hacker on that was before I actually knew Mark at the time. It was right around the time I met Mark but I noticed that what he was what Mark was saying about the Ukraine really lined up with what We see with the color revolutions and all the other countries where they've been promoted especially the you know, the former Eastern Bloc countries and Again, you know, what do we get with these color revolutions? Well, we get the introduction of all the toxicity uh, of Western countries uh, sp- particularly of the U.S., the U.S. Uh, Anglo-American Zio Empire, essentially spreading, you know, trannies and and porn and disgusting degeneracy into all these countries that, ironically, had been, in a way, kind of guarded through, through uh, the uh, you know the the Eastern Bloc uh, mm. th- through communism in a weird way, uh, because they had they had opposed uh, a lot of western so-called freedoms so there's just this really weird turn about the homosexuality being such a key issue in so-called freedom and we know that you know you and i know that we know that this comes out of like the cold war the, the cultural congress of cultural freedom the idea of promoting uh, the freedom and the arts and all this this nonsense and that somehow that's connected with you know freedom in gender expression freedom and sexual expression supposedly uh and the reason i say all that is to say that so when we look at the means of subversion of the 20th century through the big oligarchic families. Uh, one need to look no further than the authorized biography of the Rockefellers by Collier and Horowitz, which I read extensively about 10 years ago, which was a big wake up call for me because I started realizing, wait a minute, you know, there, this book is authorized. It's, you know, you got the big neocon Horowitz in there. He's writing from the, the Rockefellers authorized papers and history. And he's talking about how, They funded the ecumenist movement for all these years, uh, not because they really cared about religion, but to use it as a tool. And he talks about how, yeah, well, they set up the Council on Foreign Relations in America, uh, you know, in league with the Rhodes uh, Milner roundtable groups in the UK. They set up uh, the UN. They set up all these institutions that promote, uh, you know, globalism, so-called free enterprise, so-called free trade. Uh, and they're big promoters of all of this Jaffe and Barrelson type stuff. So you start noticing these patterns and then you realize that now the subversion of American Protestantism, and I knew this because even before I had any kind of exposure or or uh, knowledge of, of geopolitics, and I'm not at I'm not all claiming to be an expert, but uh, even back when I was just interested in the religious realm and in theology, I learned as a Protestant that the Rockefellers and and wealthy families had been putting a lot of money into certain seminaries like union seminary, Mm -hmm. certain schools like Chicago university. And that was because they had uh, an ideological bent. They really wanted to promote higher criticism, liberalism, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So what you noticed, what I noticed back in my early twenties was that even some of the, 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 traditional what are called Orthodox Presbyterians. There was a famous guy named Jay Gresham Machen and he left the mainline Presbyterian church. I want to say in the twenties, somewhere in there, but he wrote a book about liberalism and he pointed out some of this stuff, uh, in his, his famous, somewhat famous Protestant book on liberalism saying, look, it's these big seminaries. It's these, it's the money that's going to these seminaries from these foundations. And so that was kind of my initial introduction to that idea And then you started. I started realizing when I would meet, you know, people from Lutheran churches or from uh, Methodist churches, and and most of those mainline Protestant churches have kind of um, split off more conservative versions of them. And you would meet the people from those different conservative split off groups, and they would talk about, oh yeah, the seminaries got liberalized and blah blah. So you started hearing the same stories over and over and over, and it just became evident. Well, so that's what's going on here. There's very powerful people. It's not just an organic thing of oh we're all we're all just liberal i mean there is a kind of cultural feedback loop there that does mm-hmm. happen with people growing up in a liberal society but there's also the top-down moneyed families putting certain people into certain seminaries uh Fosdick, if i recall is the guy uh who the rockefellers put in place in the presbyterian seminaries because uh i think one of the rockefellers was presbyterian or something and one of them was uh, Baptist, Daddy Rockefeller was Baptist, I think. So essentially what they did was they, they created this idea of the social gospel. Uh, so a lot of people say, oh, the Jesuits became commies and they, they taught the social gospel. That's not exactly right. Actually, the Rockefellers came up with the social gospel. They promoted it in all of these seminaries and it spread to Catholicism in the same way it spread to all the other churches. So the crux here is that there's a pattern and the pattern is the same for all the churches, respective of what denomination you come from. And that's why Wimpoff's book is so good, is that this is the hard, straight-up documentation from how this was done in the Catholic Church. And we're seeing the exact same thing being done uh, in the Orthodox Church, basically. So that that's the crux of the whole point, is that uh, what you saw in the, in the in the Ukraine, to tie this to the, the reason I brought up the coup in the Ukraine, is that in 2014, when they... When they uh, annexed, it, you know, from Russia, and they basically set up the the CIA puppet there, it, it, it was geopolitics, it was money, it was all that kind of stuff out of you know Cold War strategy, or excuse me, World War II strategies, because that was actually uh, Hitler's strategy in the Ukraine was to essentially set up its own little nation state there, mm-hmm. and that's why they've had the the sort of neo fascist bent there. But it was also uh, uh, religious. So in order to rest it from Russian influence. It's not just a matter of politics. It's also a matter of religion, church and state. So I was naive, you know, back in 2013 or 14, when I was just looking at the geopolitical aspect of it, and I didn't think about the fact that, well, they're going to do the exact same thing in in terms of the religious realm. They're going to want to remove the canonical church uh, that's under the Moscow Patriarchy. They're going to want to also rest that from uh, the control of Moscow As well, because a sizable Orthodox population there obviously has to also be removed from not just political, but also religious influence from Moscow. That's the main point I'm trying to make here. So um, the way that relates to the U.S. is uh, basically that the Moscow Patriarchate essentially severed communion with Patriarch Bartholomew, who is the Patriarch of Constantinople. So he Bartholomew has been bad news for a long time, actually. Uh, a sizable portion of the church, of the Orthodox world, has uh, been very leery of him. Many believe that he is, in fact, a heretic, um, and that has only been made more and more evident, especially in the last uh, the last few months, given the situation in Ukraine. With Bartholomew essentially saying that uh, the the puppet uh, patriarch in the Ukraine named Filaret who was basically installed <laughs> as a puppet, uh, who is known as a puppet. He's not canonical. Nobody's ever thought he was canonical. Um, and suddenly ba- uh, Bartholomew essentially says, Oh, he's the one there. He's the good guy. We're going to go with that. Uh, this made it evident to the entire world of orthodoxy that Bartholomew was a stooge of NATO and the CIA. And so now we know why Joe Biden was Meeting with Bartholomew, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, now we know why Bartholomew a couple of years ago was giving Joe Joe Biden awards. And was his son was uh, involved in lucrative gas in deals. The, yeah. In the gas deal, exactly. Yeah. Now we know why. And uh, so it was all that, and it was all planning. What just happened? So, um, basically, there's now uh, a giant rift is uh, widening in the midst of the professing or orth- orthodox world. Uh, to the degree now that even uh, Russian Orthodox Christians or those under the influence of the Moscow Patriarch, and essentially all the other Orthodox patriarchs agreed. agreed. Um, I don't think anybody has sided. any of the major churches have sided with uh, Bartholomew. The only people who have decided uh, who have sided with Bartholomew uh, are the Greeks in America who are also directly under uh, CIA influence. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's essentially what's going on. Um if you kind of know the basics, it's not hard to figure it out. It's all pretty pretty clear. That's why John McCain was flying over there and meeting with the puppet patriarch Fillaret, who, by the way, was a Soviet defector. His name is Disinko, Syn- De- I think is his name, um, and he defected to the West. And magically, he's he's the uh, essentially the CIA puppet there in in the Ukraine. So that's that's what's going on uh, in simple terms. And I actually talked about some of this stuff i was i wasn't fully aware of all the all the geopolitical stuff but i knew that some of these guys were bad news and i think really the last uh few months has has vindicated has vindicated my analysis of that whole scenario so long story short that's why um this is all connected it's the and the subversion is happening because uh some of my analyses of these of these things over the last uh few months and years made a lot of people mad. They didn't know what they they thought I was being crazy, conspiratorial. Uh, And the reaction of certain people was to say, well, there's no such thing as foundations and institutions (laughs) influencing the church, which is utterly preposterous documented in multiple books. So uh, I pointed out the fact that, well, uh, Fordham university has a, a famous Eastern Orthodox studies Institute there. And they just received a grant from some foundation in the UK to, uh, study gay and lesbian issues in Orthodox churches. So uh, on top of that, uh, Harvard has appointed social justice warrior uh, trans people to spy on the Orthodox world and to report who are the uh, radical right-wing extremists in Orthodoxy, on and on and on. So to say that the ha- this has nothing to do with foundations of petition money is uh, utterly absurd and ignorant. In fact, some of the people who claim this actually retweet the people from the foundations at Fordham, <laughs> uh, namely this uh, Mr. <laughs> Democopoulos, I think his name is George Democopoulos, who is the head of Fordham's uh, Eastern Studies Department. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what's going on. And to think that this has no connection to, you know, the CIA and that kind of stuff, it would be very naive. So so that's essentially the the, the essence of what's going on here.
4: Very interesting. Yeah, because, um, well, Bartholomew is over there in Constantinople you know mm-hmm. which is turkey if i have my geography correct right it is a nato correct yeah so it's a nato country he's also uh there's not much of a of an of an orthodox population there anymore so he's largely right. relying on the you know the diaspora and greeks yeah. Uh, but also Western fund, World Council Church, from I understand, and exactly. all funding. So yeah, he has no independent base, and so he's being used. I also understood there is some sort of intrigue regarding this um, reconstruction of an Orthodox Church, Greek Orthodox Church, in uh, in Manhattan, and the embezzlement of certain funds. And the U.S. government is backing off Correct. the investigation, and this this could be the the sort of the leverage they have, perhaps, over um, some of these people,
3: right? That that was very likely, uh, but I've also been told, uh, rument whisper intelligence, mm-hmm. <laughs> is that uh, people in those circles are compromised.
4: Yeah, well, that's again, that's uh, mm-hmm. wouldn't be uh, surprising. It's part of the right. course. Yes, um, correct. This and, so, and obviously, yeah, this is a way to can put you know, create a wedge, get in there, and this is another way of tearing you U- tearing Ukraine away from Russia and, and folding it into NATO and using using the church the same way. You know, perhaps the cold war was used to uh, uh, suborn or manipulate the Catholic Church.
3: Um, Absolutely. yeah, Absolutely.
4: Of course, the book yeah. you're referring to by David Wemoff is John Courtney Murray, Time Life and the American Proposition, How the CIA's Doctrinal Warfare Program Changed the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, an essential, but probably the most important books I've ever read. Understanding Absolutely. the modern right. world, what's going on, and uh, it's sort of fundamentally, at least it, it fundamentally changes, but it... it, it, it um it uh answers certain questions about what was going on uh, in the 1960s uh in the catholic church and what, what's happened since then so right and of course you know uh,
3: the the deeper you get into these kind of things the the less aware you are of how everyone else is not aware of these things yeah <laughs> so you that's another thing. it's, things. yeah you start talking about no <laughs> one is aware of, it. and this. they're like what are you talking about you sound insane and then you then you point out well Hey, wait! You know the government itself has actually investigated this, right? And then you point out the Reese Committee and yeah. you say, "Hey, well, do you think the Reese Committee findings uh, that was only for that time period? Like that never <laughs> happened beyond that? Oh, we're going to quit now, or right? Like MKUltra? Oh, well, you investigate it, so well, okay, we'll we'll stop. We're not going to do that anymore. Well, that no, that, of course, yeah,
4: not. yeah. That's one thing uh, is I'm just also I just started a book called uh, Thy Will Be Done.' It's about the Rockefellers and missionary. In Latin yes. America, and um, the tone is kind of lefty, but it's still important in the book. At least for, um, I haven't gotten too far in the book, uh, but uh-huh. it talks about Fosdick and the use of, of missionary work and, and these go. things for yeah. sort of securing the resources of, uh, you know, particularly oil, but other natural resources of um, in Brazil and the, the Amazon rainforest and, and these things, and using it, these missionary groups as a, as a as sort of as um, proxy.
3: Uh, soldiers, even unwittingly in many cases, but getting, getting action. <laughs> well, it's funny you said that because I was at an Orthodox church uh, a couple of weeks ago. I won't say which one. And uh, I was very disheartened by the, the homily because um, I've, there's two different priests there. One's kind of younger guy and he, he usually gets pretty good, solid homilies. But the older priest is like a, a completely boomer-tier <laughs> He's a boomer tier neocon. And I was yeah. really distressed by this homily because it was a basically. Uh, it, Because it was Veterans Day, so he was talking about how, uh, you know, America basically guards world freedom. Mm-hmm. It's basically the four freedoms of FDR put <laughs> yes, into a yeah. sermon. And then he was talking about, um, f- right after that, he started talking about uh, asking for money for some mission. And I was thinking, he, he was saying, I had a friend who, you know, this guy, he was a doctor and he's given up everything to be a missionary. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, right. He's probably a, he's probably working for somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be that cynical, but, you know, that's the mindset that you tend to think when you hear, you know, a homily that sounds like FDR's is for freedoms. And then then I hear about a missionary needing money. I'm thinking, yeah, right, yeah, right. But, um, yeah, that's the sad state that we're in. And And I'm trying to impress people. The, I'm trying to impress the point to people that this is uh, cross-denominational because the oligarchs this the elite the establishment they're going to do what works and if this has worked for decades now to subvert religious institutions to turn them basically into organs of you know the corporate state which is what it is then they're going to keep doing it they're not going to stop doing it and and the reason it works is that people don't figure it out they don't People aren't aware that this is this is how religions are used. They're brought into institutions like you mentioned, like the National Council of Churches, World Council of Churches, which are essentially Rockefeller institutions. And again, um, you'll you'll get people who will analyze those things and they'll talk about, well, there was a lot of KGB at those institutions, and that's true. There were mm-hmm. KGB that were uh, in- installed in those. But it's the it's it's like talking about Gorbachev. You know, who does Gorbachev end up lauding and praising and working for? Rockefeller institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, And so, again, you have to understand that the big-moneyed oligarchs are not at cross-purposes with Sovietism or the KGB or or Maoism or anything like that. They love it. They love those, you know, control systems, those top-down control systems, whatever titles you want to give them, fascism, communism. They all kind of achieve the same goal. There might be different flavors, you know what I mean, like fascism might— might not be as degenerate as something like Bolshevism, but but in the end, <clears throat> I would say uh, that even fascism, you know, is problematic because it basically deifies the state. And so what we, t- in my view, what we tend to see, and in fact, I was, as I was reading through Wim Hof, uh, I'm simultaneously reading a book by, uh, I think his name is Papya Notsev. He's a, uh, it's a, written in the 1890s, um, and it's memoir, uh, Reflections of a Russian Statesman. Um, And he was critiquing from the 1890s Russian statesman view, you know, writing prior to the Bolshevik Revolution, he's critiquing Western liberal democracy from a Russian Orthodox perspective he's saying the exact same thing that the anti-americanists are saying in Wim Hof's book. Right. So, so the arguments of, of even the, you know, Pope Leo or writings like the syllabus of errors or Quanta Cura or, or you know, father Leonard Feeney or, or father, uh, I think there's a guy in Wim Hof's book named father tapping or something like that. uh, Whether there's a, a significant section of an essay that sounds just it's the exact same argumentation that the Pabinatsev is giving uh, about democracy and how both of them, in fact, make the point that when you try to have separation of church and state, you don't actually get that. What you get is a state-controlled church. <laughs> yeah, uh, That's the irony here is that everybody who, who – all of these people who are purveyors of separation of church and state, they're always acting like making this argument as if you're going to get the freedom that you really, really want if you just let us set up the secular, you know, d- divide and put, let's set up the secular situation. It's going to be freedom for you. We promise. Think of all the tyranny that you've had for all these centuries. And then what you get is this monstrosity. That's just another shadow controlled, you know, church yeah, state. The managerial, that's what we have in America.
4: Yeah, the managerial state, the bureaucracy. And I was, uh, a while back, I did an interview. We were talking. Oh, and, uh, the gentleman made the point that uh in 18 late 19th century there were more bureaucrats in paris than there were all throughout the russian empire <laughs> yet the russian empire is called autocratic and tyrannical right. you know right. well simply they didn't have the officials to do this or so practically speaking it couldn't be because you had mediating institutions and these things to really govern society and you know uh, but that's the false claim of liberalism and democracy. Because right. even at the end of the day, I think I've made this point to you, to, you, to you directly and other people is that we have these paper constitutions, but they don't follow them anyway. They don't even live up to their own claims. Exactly. Yeah. Why, why should
3: they? <laughs> there's a there's another yeah. little book uh, that I think his name is Trevor Goodson. I think, uh, but it's a history of central banking. Uh And yeah. he goes he goes into that point in terms of the, the Russian government as well about. Um, about what was really going on and, and, you know, questions of the usury and that kind of stuff. But point being, it's is just that I'm trying to say that we, we think of America as separation of church and state, but actually the religions in America are essentially organs of the state is what, what it all amounts to.
4: Which is what these the, data the Wemhoff makes the point in his book. That, that was the original plan was you right. make it, you know, you create this pluralistic society. Everyone has their own religion, they can go to church on Sunday and then become, you know, productive, you know, Economically driven robots for the rest of the week and doesn't really make much of a difference. You
3: know. Yes. And one of the problems with that is the enlightenment assumption of what's called neutrality. So, in the realm of philosophy, you have this question of, of philosophical or ideological neutrality. And is that really possible? Uh, I don't believe that it is. So, for example, I think it really quickly breaks down because we start asking questions like, well, how can the state be neutral on something like abortion? How can it be neutral on the question of marriage? Those are institutions that relate directly to human society. Mm -hmm. So how can the state have no position or be neutral on those things? It's it's really retarded and quite childish to think that it could. And yet that is the, the inheritance that we have from the enlightenment is the assumption that, not just in science that you can be quote neutral, but then in fact in all areas of life, there's this, this magical position of neutrality uh, that you don't have to take a position or that you can allow some sort of libertarian uh, freedom in. And in fact, it's just simply not the case there. There's, there's no point uh, the in, in the world or, or in reality or, or human life that is, that is neutral. Nothing is if you, if you, if you, if you stop and think about it, but, of course, that's not the pragmatic approach. Is to stop. Is not to stop and reflect, or to to even consider something like that. But you know, whether it's you know Sunday laws, right? There used to be Sunday laws. Mm-hmm. Whether it's uh, you know the, the days of the week, right? I mean, uh, whether it's uh, um, questions of usury, whether it's questions of uh, uh, morals, uh, abortion, uh, murder. You know, none of these things can be can be neutral, and it, and it doesn't. I mean, certainly there's such a thing as crazed bureaucracy, but at the same time, there's no such thing as like, you know, a state that doesn't legislate morality. That's utterly utterly. Well, I'm personally, I'm personally opposed, Jay. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what it does. Is that it allows, it, I think Wemhoff in, in mm-hmm. the kind of passing point actually makes a brilliant argument there that, well, isn't that what's necessary for commerce? I mean, in other words, to maximize commerce, you need to play down religious laws and distinctions because it's not good for commerce. Yes, and that's that's a key point here: is that the real god of the system is Mammon, is mm-hmm. the market god.
4: And that doesn't you really you get to the essential question: is what constitutes a good and just society? And sometimes, exactly. But that gets that's not a pragmatic that's, question. That's philosophical, <laughs> and that's yeah. no longer pragmatic. Right? <laughs> America, we like to get things done.
3: You know? <laughs> yeah, and, and Wim Hof, you know, make, makes those points right away and early on in the book, he says that uh, essentially America is the pragmatic country. I also but, pretty appreciated the chapter, too. He discusses at length, you know, the, the uh, Quigley, like there's a whole chapter on mm-hmm. Rhodes, Roundtable Group, Quigley, um, Lionel Curtis's Commonwealth of God, you know, becomes the idea of the the Anglo-American american show.
4: yeah and the whole idea that this the the the, the american century would yes. be design would be designed by uh various banker elites who control the media these are a handful of men for the most mm-hmm. part who are just dist- who are creating an economic system which uh, it's called economic
3: freedom but it, it, it benefits
4: the empire
3: and the same people yeah. that designed the 14 points uh it's the same class that designed the four freedoms yes. <laughs> and they're the same ones that said that this needs to be sold to the entire world and guess what they're all bankers and they drew up all the debts after World War One or World and War And
4: another false promise just like the way the liberal constitutions are false promises because the four freedoms and the 14 points well one thing it didn't apply to defeated Germany in 1918 but later, right. later on it didn't apply to uh, Mossadegh in Iran or or Guatemala oh, yeah. 50, you know under Arbenz or Ch- Chile and these things right because
3: <laughs> the moment you get yeah, a foul, freedoms, yeah. Yeah, the freedoms, you know, yeah. they're arbitrarily uh, doled out and taken away.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> you know, it's it's, again, just yeah, freedom. It sounds great, you know, but they don't live up there. You
3: know, what about freedom from usury? <laughs> yeah.
4: Freedom from usury. You know,
3: like,
4: but Where's things, that freedom? To become institutionalized, you know, it's, yeah. um, but uh, it, it's what you talk about. The use of, um, well, foundations, uh, NGOs, you could say, these organizations you don't really consider governmental. Uh, E. Michael Jones in his book, uh, well, in several books, but particularly in the Slaughter of Cities, and also he wrote a biography of um, John Cardinal Kroll in the Cultural Revolution, which Mm -hmm. actually predates the Slaughter of Cities. I read it actually in reverse. I wasn't aware of the uh, Cardinal Kroll biography. Uh, But he says there was a basis, it was his research to Cardinal Kroll led to Slaughter of Cities. And sort of, again, we have a situation, this is done in in the middle part of the 20th century, because uh, America is a funny situation. America, I've heard America described as sort of a Masonic Frankenstein monster. It's um, it was up until the twentieth century it was largely decentralized, and at least in the uh, outside the South, very ethnic and mm-hmm. and sort of compartmentalize ethnically these ethnic enclaves and these things but this had to be sort of homogenized uh, for the american century and this really began in world war one but it really began in earnest during world war ii Correct. Uh, under the pretext of war measures uh to bring uh, you know black sharecroppers up from the south to fill the the war factories because of the war mobilization 12 million men went off to fight you had this labor shortage that was a need that had to be met but it was also used as, as a pretext to sort of weaken the unions at the same time also uh uh, break up these ethnic neighborhoods that people like Paul Blanchard saw as being suspect, uh, loyalty to, for the war. Uh, you know, Even uh, even to Polish Catholics or you know, Irish Catholics, it wasn't just Germans or Italians that he targeted, because these these Catholic enclaves or eth- eth- ethnic uh, communities were sort of a, a stumbling block to the post-war plans. I think they are already set in motion, but the use of, uh, use of the foundation, like the Ford Foundation and the use of, uh, after, well, one thing later on, you shoot ahead to the 60s, the use of governmental agencies, uh, like the Office of Economic Opportunity to, uh, fund criminal gangs, sort of as proxy soldiers to chase the whites out. And this is very similar to what we see, like in the Middle East with the, with, uh, some of these, uh, you know, with, um, ISIS, so-called ISIS and some of these groups, where these these proxy forces are used to create mayhem, to achieve well, some sort of a demographic objective, perhaps.
3: Uh, guess what? The same thing is happening to the ethnic communities of the Orthodox world. Yes, it's no different. And uh, uh, for example, I was reading an article the other day about I think it was in uh, uh, one of the Eurasian publications, Journal NEO or whatever. But uh, I think I shared it online. It's it's a it's a good article talking about the bankers' destruction of Greece. Now, we all know that this has happened over the last Mm -hmm. several years, but um, the leftist government that was supposedly going to stop and oppose the IMF, oh, well, magically, guess what? They just happen to be people from the IMF and from, (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah, uh, Alexei Tsipras or whatever. And guess what he wants? More mosques in Greece. Now, the Greeks, who, of course, fought uh, Muslims at different points Mm -hmm. in history, And even the Greek bishops uh, uh, in Greece, who are not as bad, by the way, as the American Greek bishops, who are the worst, um, they're mad. They don't want more mosques. And they're saying, we want borders. We do not want more and more Islamic influx. But guess what? That's to destroy Greece. That's Mm -hmm. to destroy what's there. It's by design. And it's Muslims there and it's migrant caravans here. Mm-hmm. It's exact it's the exact same models. And it's and what you're talking about with the ethnic enclaves, with Catholics, uh, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. And, or with or with Southerners, it's the exact same thing.
4: And you, you achieve you can achieve a lot of objectives. One thing is you create you create white America, right? In the post war white suburbia, which then can be subjected to the Cultural Revolution through the mass media. Uh, uh, and this is all spelled out, like you said, in various white papers and, and think tanks the, the creation of suburbia. But the um, one example is. Um, the efforts uh, for the federal government of promoting uh, birth control in the nineteen sixties. It had been defeated in the nineteen thirties because of these ethnic, these Catholic ethnic neighborhoods, and the Catholic Church was strong because of these ethnic neighborhood, neighborhoods. Neighborhoods, uh, um, but by the nineteen sixties, uh, the diaspora the in the suburbia had been, you know, had had, had 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 happened, and so again, you had that loss of ethnic identity. But one one um, focal point of this battle was actually was in Philadelphia. Where the uh, it was the uh, 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 the blessed Sac- most blessed sacrament parish I think it is uh yeah most blessed sacrament most blessed sacrament parish was like a hundred city blocks very dense these dense Philadelphia homes all Catholic okay and it, had, it was the largest Catholic school in the country and, and uh, provided the most priests and these things but it also elected a senator Martin Mullen. And that senator uh, was, uh, I think, controlled the purse strings of the state budget. And he held the pass against uh, the state of Pennsylvania promoting birth control. And what they did is they gradually integrated his neighborhood and he lost his district because of that. And, they, and, the, and the Catholic, ethnic Catholics left for suburbia. And the, prob, well, the problem uh, with the archdiocese was, uh, is didn't really, didn't have the, the uh, sophistication to see what was going on. They didn't seem to care. They, they just thought integration was good. You know, as, mm-hmm. that was sort of the zeitgeist, the spirit right. of the age. If you were progressive, you had to, to promote integration because you were a racist. If you didn't, right. but they didn't understand that this parish was being destroyed, which is the, the backbone of the influence of the church. Uh, from the standpoint of the archdiocese, was the people will go out to suburbia, but they're still members of the archdiocese, but they're no longer part of a cohesive, tight knit community. And there goes the, you know, there goes the cultural influence of the church. Therefore, its political power. Once their these you know these ethics go into suburban, they become whites. You know, with you know, watching TV, all they have in common, and that's and it was very sophisticated, but it was done. And how this was done was the the employment of foundations, uh, yep. Quaker organizations, uh, the um, Catholic Interracial Councils. So you people within the side, liberals within the, side of the church who either understood this or didn't care. They just wanted to be good liberals. But this again, you, do, you use ethnic warfare, and and. Superficially, it, it looks good because everyone's supporting integration. But from a from a uh, political science and sociological standpoint, you're sort of creating this homogenization. society and destroying uh groups that might present some check on the uh the uh objectives of the empire which one thing was was of course was um depopulation and birth control and the courts were there with you know griswold v connecticut in 1965 to legalize it. it what happened was once the courts ruled it was a right a privacy right uh governments can now go out and actively promote it before that they couldn't promote this thing and they started promoting mm-hmm. it uh, uh, I think it was William Ball, who was a Catholic lawyer working for the archdiocese, made the argument that well, if it's a right to privacy, then the government is not right to even promoting because you're invading someone's privacy by, by promoting it.
2: <laughs> mm.
4: Yeah, but that that's just, my point is this is, that, that is like kind of a micro example mm-hmm. of the importance of sort of these ethnic neighborhoods and how you can achieve a much larger political objective just by demographic warfare, and it's indirect, so it isn't isn't particularly noticed. And the point is, is, the foundations are key to this. Yeah.
3: Yes, uh, there are, uh, maybe an analogous example, uh, orthodoxy in America is is kind of confusing because there's a lot of different jurisdictions. And the reason for that is because in orthodoxy, there's no uh, position higher than a bishop. If, uh, if say, the Russian uh, Orthodox Church extends missions to America, if it sets up a mission church, then that church has unless it's granted autocephalous status, it's Mm -hmm. usually in some way connected to, you know, uh, a Russian bishop or something like that. Um, If the Greeks set up a mission church, the same situation happens. And so there's been a move, for example, uh, amongst, I would argue, I used to think it sounded like a good idea to have all of the jurisdictions of Orthodoxy in America United. uh, But now that I understand the way that this stuff actually works, uh, that would be a bad thing because what would happen is it would all probably They would try to put put it under uh, one single um, uh, uh, American jurisdiction that would be completely controlled. So that would actually be a nightmare. So it's actually good that we have uh, different parishes, Russian churches, Serbian churches, Romanian Orthodox, all these different types, because that's much more difficult to try to force everybody into the acceptance of one giant so-called canonical Thing that's run by you know foundations and a bunch of, of stooges. Yeah, whenever so, you do it, you end up with a rainbow flag outside your church anyway. You will, you'll have to, <laughs> and yeah, um, and and I remember you know ten years ago I, I started looking at Orthodox, and I remember people talking about, oh we need to have all the jurisdictions united. We need to have one jurisdiction for North America, and and ideally, normally that would be the case. But uh nowadays, given the way I have a, I think a better picture of how you know subversion works uh that sounds like a nightmare we would not want that but but yeah that, and and that would play into um ethnic uh subversion as well mm-hmm. so you're absolutely right so and, and there's two there's there's different errors here like there's the there's the focusing too much on the ethnicity which happens at times in orthodoxy and and causes problems um but at the same time, that can also be a, a positive. It can be a firewall. So, so there's no easy answers to this because the system that you know that we are opposed to is a system that utilizes mammon to essentially destroy man, and and that's the problem is that people don't see that. And I always, again, I come back to to you know think about the Godfather, right? Uh, and I think Wemhoff has a section where he talks about this. That that's that's an emblem of uh, the destruction of the people group. You see the same idea in Scarface is you have these people who would have been would have been more traditionally minded in, in their religious views. Uh, and the same would apply to any person who comes to America you know to make his way from whatever religious background. The same idea is there is that the, the, the kind of system that America is is a system that entices you on the basis of material prosperity. And I thought the chapter that Wimhoff had about uh, Walter Lipman was especially telling because it jibes perfectly with what we've covered, for example, uh, at my site in Miles Copeland. Because Miles Copeland said, we wanted to sell Hollywood and Americanism, or we wanted to sell Americanism in Egypt, so we just sent them Hollywood movies. Because
1: mm-hmm.
3: that made them all think that, you know, living the good life is essentially, uh, you know, climbing up the ladder. Um and you you see that that's what it's about. That's what the enticement that, why do all these third world people want to come here? Well, they want to have a better life. They want to make money. Um, but they don't understand that three generations from now, that's to turn their offspring into goblins basically.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good example of that is a lot of the, uh, people from mexico who migrate north exactly once they get away from like our later guadalupe they lose their catholicism because that's (laughs) especially mexican form of catholicism that's how they Mm -hmm. identify with it and it's very it's not very strong up here and what they become again these you know you said goblins
3: (laughs) well they won't i mean it's not like it's not like it's only white people that are going to be promoted with the training stuff it's everybody yeah yeah, and it, the school, it. the schools are pushing that. And now, you know, Canada has legalized bestiality so that the, it's completely legal to have bestiality now. Mm-hmm. So it's not just – I mean, it's like every degeneracy uh, is going to be pushed out and promoted. And it's going to be basically a, a completely satanic order is what it is.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this – you know, of course, a lot of these countries, particularly Latin America, Mexico, you know, you know they would invade you know, Americans – America's Freemasonic project in mexico and uprooting the traditional state there in the 19th century
3: uh, and throughout yes, latin was. america it was, it was yeah. sort of fostered by masons yeah
4: masons america. and uh again there's a context here that uh you know america's had played a has played a large role in keeping these countries poor and destabilized and this is a model here because you do that, you create an uh, endless supply, virtually endless supply of not only caravans of people who can come up and create social disruption and just create Correct. sort of a strategy of tension, but also cheap labor. And, you know, cheap labor uh, that coincides with the so-called free trade and these things. They've always leveraged, the enslaved or exploited um, you know wretched uh, masses of, of of the of the uh, of the colonies or the empire uh for labor and call that free trade. And that's something that the British empire did to Germany in the 19th century.
3: Yes. That's a great point. Yeah. And people don't think about it being studied at that level, but there was in fact a uh, UN paper from a couple of years. The, the paper was from early two thousands, I think, but somebody had uh, it was going around the alt media uh, a few months ago, maybe a few weeks ago, I forget what it was, but basically this UN paper was about population projections for different regions and they were giving scenarios it was like eight different scenarios and and one of those scenarios was uh the basically the displacement of the normative uh, caucasian population uh by large amounts of uh latin south american mexican you know population moving into uh, moving into the us mm-hmm. by i think they had something like 20 40 20, 50. Uh, so in other words, and and now it was presented in this this particular UN paper as a, just one of the many scenarios, uh, <laughs> right? Like oh, but the, but no, that's never used as a game plan. They would never use that as like an actual strategy. No, no, no. even though there's books by countless academics like weapons of mass migration, they would never actually use that, right? It's just it's just an objective analysis, you know. True. Even though even though the bankers say we want to, you know, Peter Sutherland let flood these countries with, even though uh, you know Wesley Clark says it's time for all this to go away. No, they would never do that. It's just, it's just, uh, how do but, Somalians
4: end up in, uh, in Minnesota?
3: Uh, or Tennessee or in Nashville? <laughs> I met a guy at a bookstore and, uh, he was a leftist guy. He ran up one of the bookstores that closed down, the, uh, the old bookstore downtown. And, uh, he saw me looking through the geopolitics section one day and he, he was, what do you, there's not many people buy those books. <laughs> I said, yeah. <laughs> I was like I was looking for anything to do with uh, I think I said something like Cold War and he was like oh well blah 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 he said yeah I've always been anti-war and all this stuff and and he had these kind of like you know oh yeah there's a you know a deep state cabal and this kind of stuff and they you know that's who killed JFK and then he's like but, yeah I got to go cuz uh I got to go I volunteer uh, at one of the refugee centers where we are receiving all the Somalians so. mm-hmm. <laughs> I was yeah. like, in Nashville there's all these Somalians coming in yeah, I was well, like yeah yeah why yeah. and who's paying for it?
4: Mm-hmm. so there's agency I mean, there's agency well we know who's paying for it. yeah it's, it's yeah soros organizations but yeah yeah, they, yeah and they're making money hands and fist doing it too you know? that
3: That's was awesome. another big key too uh that i think jesse russell pointed out in one of your interviews and actually i looked this up after he mentioned it and uh, that wasn't a thing I, I missed too was all the uh virtue signaling about this stuff by these retarded churches and mm-hmm. and by the way it's all of them there's orthodox for virtue signaling the mainline greeks were uh Protestant churches, the liberal ones, obviously, and the Roman Catholic bishops, they were virtue signaling over this because they're getting money mm-hmm. <laughs> for these refugees. Yeah, this is
4: where the brick and mortar men, you know, as Michael Jones called it, they're busy establishing their churches, but they're not uh, not keen to the, to the psychological warfare being waged against their flock. And yeah. so, as he said, so they're you know, they're bringing knives to gunfights. And they have no understanding. In some cases, I think it might be actually it might be more sinister than that. Oh yeah, it would be. uh, You know, someone like a a, a cardinal Bernard Bernardine.
3: Bernardine or Mahoney. Yeah, yeah,
4: he was involved with uh, what's his name in Chicago. You know, the uh, guy who wrote for Radicals." Solinsky. Solinsky, Yeah, Yeah. he's working. He's working with Solinsky. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And everywhere it goes is a trail of you know reports of abused exactly children so you know you know whatever think you know whatever you want to infer, infer from that um but um with uh you you, you in the talk you were uh, i think you opened it up with this uh, uh 36 year interview with norman Dodd, which is very important but it's it's one of these things where norman Dodd, who was the Chief Investigator for the Committee, you mentioned earlier, and you alluded to this earlier, is at one point, there was a a very serious congressional investigation of the role of the foundations. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Rene Wormser wrote a book called Foundations and Their Power, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and he details this, but there was a very uh, serious investigation of what they were doing, un-American activities, and what uh, Norman Dodd describes as un-American activities, just using unconstitutional methods to change the government or society. Mm -hmm. which I thought was a pretty fair, you know, explanation of something as vague as un-American people, you know, but he, he, uh, I mean, actually I'll let you, 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 I mean, you, you. Well, I mean,
3: the the people who are doing this are committed Americanists uh, and they knew no better. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were, they, they operated on the basis of the light that that was given to them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, you know, they didn't know any better, but uh, it's, it's just like the, I heard some story about the the guy who founded the Birch Society. I forget who he was, some general or something, and, you know, he was well-intentioned, but supposedly he got blown away by the fact that he realized that that it was these big foundations. It Mm -hmm. wasn't just commies. It was like, you know, very wealthy people supporting all this stuff in America, right? So the same principle here is that if you look, for example, at the things that they list that uh, the various foundations, Rockefeller, Ford, Carnegie, blah, blah, blah. Uh, It was ideas like uh, relativism, moral relativism, cultural relativism, um, socialism, this kind of stuff. Uh, and that makes perfect sense because if we think about, you know, Yuri Bezmenov, the endlessly cited, Defector interview, and I think it's G. Edward Griffin. It's G. Edward Griffin that's interviewing Norman Dodd, and it's G. Edward Griffin that interviews Yuri Bezmanov. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is that that in the Besmanov lecture, he doesn't ever say he he says he talks about things that are real subversive techniques. So all that stuff that he says is correct. But I don't think he gives the full story of who's behind it. But if you look at what the findings of the Reese Committee are, that's who it is. It's those people. It's Rockefeller, Ford, Carnegie—you uh, know the big bankers, all these families. That's who it is.
4: Yeah, in that interview, Norman Dodd uh, talks about—he uh, was like 30 years old uh, at the time of the uh, the Great Crash, 1929—but uh, he was told to investigate uh, it by um, uh, about uh, banking reform. Mm-hmm. I think I have a quote here, it's very interesting. He goes, when I was 30, I was 30 at the time, I had no more right to, uh, you go, much of my surprise, my, my superiors in the middle of the panic in which they were immersed, confronted me and was, I was confronted with the question, Norm, what do we do now? Uh, I was 30 at the time, I had no more right to have an answer to that question than the man on the moon. However, I did manage to, to say to my superiors, gentlemen, uh, you take this experience as proof of something that you do not know about banking.
2: What if you could have a career?
4: and you better go find out what that something is and act accordingly. Uh, Four days later, I was confronted by the same superiors with a statement to the effect that, Norm, you go find out. And I really was a fool, and I was really, uh, was a fool enough to accept the assignment because it meant that you were going out to search for something and nobody could tell you what you were looking for. I felt so strongly on the subject that I consented to it. I was relieved of all normal duties. I'll paraphrase here. And he went out and he investigated and basically came back with a report i guess promoting sound banking <laughs> that's the solution <laughs> uh where is this here we go here we go he says so i rendered such a report and as a result of the report i ran i rendered i was told the following norm what you're saying is we should return to sound banking and i said yes in essence that's exactly uh, what what is that i am saying whereupon i got my first shock uh, was the statement from them to this effect. We will never see sound banking in the United States again. And they cite, cited chapter and verse to support that statement. What they mm-hmm. cited was as follows. Since the end of World War I, mm-hmm. we have been responsible for what they call the institution, institutionalization of conflicting interests. And they're so prevalent inside this country, they can never be resolved. This came to me as an extraordinary shock because these men who had made this statement were the men who deemed, were deemed the most prominent bankers in the country. The bank of which I was a part of was uh, spoken of a Morgan Bank coming from the men of that caliber. A statement of that kind made a tremendous impression on me. Now, what he's saying from that is that the banking system, the financial system, is made purposely unstable to create mm-hmm. sh- occasional shocks for the purpose of. I think, well, I would say, yeah, concentration the boom bust cycle
3: is a scam that yeah. we talked about that one time. Yeah,
4: and so he's being told that the system is made to be intentionally unstable. They want right. this is you know, strategy of tension, cri- you know, to create a crisis. And this is essentially what occurred with the Great Depression and the and the, and the other Panic, um, but yeah, I mean that's I mean I that was an interesting part of that interview. But he he says uh, with the Reese Committee, he does this investigation and he um, he goes up there. I think uh, sends Catherine Casey up to investigate the minutes of the Carnegie Endowment for Peace, and he right. discovers a, and she discovers a conspiracy to drag the country into war for the purposes of collectivization mm-hmm. of the country. They fundamentally change... Basically, there's no better way to fundamentally change a, a, a culture or country than, than to drag it into war. And also the subsequent plan to after plans to extend the First World War, to extend the crisis, to, I guess, create more damage to society, trauma, and then make all things possible and take measures to uh, uh, avoid a reversion to normal times for peacetime. And yes th- we call that the 20th century, right?
3: <laughs> I mean, that's correct and the people at the Rhodes Rothschild society the elect group that that we we've covered, that's the one that's who cooked all this up and they're the ones who cooked up the the need to bring America into the wars to be the engine for this uh to not only create the instability and to to have the villains like uh like Hitler uh but to also, they're they're also smart enough and devious enough that they know that the wars will exhaust certain countries. Mm-hmm. It'll exhaust their enemies, and they even talked about that. In fact, there's a chapter where Quigley talks about that with Italy. He says that uh, what Mussolini did was actually advantageous for the West. Mussolini basically uh, uh, exhausted Italy. They had nothing they could do after the war. Uh, not that Italy, Italy was necessarily that that great of a of a war power, but the point is that the Axis powers couldn't. It, Germany really was the main the main problem mm-hmm. there, as you know, Quigley and Muckle Jones and every Stratfor, Freeman sure everybody agrees that that's what the Royal Society did was they came up with a plan to basically wreck Germany, and it worked. And then they did the same thing with Russia. Uh, we 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 know we've covered that, but the point is that that the people who have these big big picture strategy analyses done. They're smart enough to know how to play a big game. Is what I'm trying to say. So they, they know the stuff about migration movements, population movements, how to wreck cultures through that that we talked about a few minutes ago. And they know the same strategies with economy, how to sink and, and cycle economies through different means. Um, that was covered excellently. Uh, one of the, the the crucial chapters in tragedy and hope that people miss is the FDR chapter, because if you if you just see FDR as a socialist or a commie, you miss the, you miss it. You miss the whole thing, because even Wimhoff points out that FDR's uh, Four Freedoms that's perfectly in line with the spirit of American capitalism, even though he was a collectivist. Uh, and the promotion of collectivism in this regard is not contrary to monopoly capitalism at all. <laughs> no, no. Uh, and when you see the cycles, this was the the, ch- the Quigley chapter on FDR that's so crucial that the cycles are, are are intentional to have a period of prosperity and privatization that then transitions into a cycle of austerity and collectivization. Mm-hmm. And they, and the bankers are smart enough that they know that and they can plan that. And that what that does, as we said, was it collectivizes the debt, The, the, the future energy of your children are basically already down payments on future debts. That's how they do it. And they keep you in slavery, not just your generation, but generation after generation after generation, generation, and they can even cycle the economy through, um, different phases of boom and bust. That's how it's done. So it's not a free market. It's a rigged, rigged economy, even though it's sold as a free market, um, it's 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 basically just scam within scam within scam. Mm-hmm. It's like onion layers of scams. I know we talked about that before. Yeah, and the whole banking
4: yeah. financial system and insurance, mm-hmm. even healthcare insurance, the debt model, and these things all it's all designed for extraction,
3: harvesting exactly yeah. harvesting energy basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> energy parasites basically.
4: Um, now, uh, I know you you talked a lot about Wim Hof's book. book. Um, I think it would be fair we talk about that, and because we talk about the dark China warfare, and he
3: in the book. By the way, real quick, can I add something? Sure. Did do you remember when you and I were talking about the funny chapter in Quigley where he talks about the Bank of England and the the secret? Yeah, storage good. vaults and stuff
4: <laughs> yeah the uh, the uh dr evil's gold Ex- or something. <laughs> did you see did
3: you see the article that i found that i put up in yes. my james, james bond talk where the queen is walking in the secret vaults looking at her 260 billion dollars in gold yeah anyway but
4: yeah <laughs> and yeah you know, she's she's goldfinger
3: <laughs> i was gonna say yeah it's like her and lord Rothschild are, are like yeah goldfinger together
4: <laughs> um the like uh, criminal warfare program, because uh, kind of
3: this. This is this kind of uh, spells out what you're talking. Oh, by about. the way, by the way, yeah. if you have that much of the gold, I mean, if you remember Goldfinger's plot, I'm sorry, I, I, I mean, interrupt you, a bit, but I think this plays into. I'm theorizing here, conspiracy theorizing. This plays into manipulation of the gold market. I mean, if you have like the controlling, like a giant chunk of the world, then aren't gold markets manipulated? I mean, Paul Craig Roberts has been arguing this for a long time.
4: Yeah, so there's, you can't rely on a gold standard, you
3: know? right? Right. You know, and,
4: you know, fiat currency gold. because what you're dealing with is hot this level of criminality,
3: and yeah, exactly. bad faith.
4: There's no. This goes back to there's no economic model that can compensate for such criminality and degenerate. Yes, behavior.
3: that's a great point. Yeah,
4: I mean, it goes back to you know, basically it has to you, you, a system has to have a certain degree of integrity and honor to, it, and it doesn't. It just collapses, and there's no model that can protect you from it. because i feel really because if you have honorable people running the printing press even a fiat you currency work is backed up by economic production there's no right yeah you know, you know. um but the uh, this uh will book cites this doctrinal warfare program it was a document titled psb d33 with annexes uh, which uh, basically the program was to target intellectuals business leaders and clerics mm-hmm. in a number of different societies with the goal of having them approve the american ideology and principle Yes. Psychological warfare is defined further in this inter uh, in this interview. Two key aspects of American ideology may uh, my book proposes are I'm reading from one De- of uh, my summations. So-called separation of church and state, along the conception of religious liberty, with the means that there is not a state-established church and that religion is not a form uh, not to form the basis of public policy, and the freedom of press, which effectively puts culture and real power. Over the minds of the citizen, citizenry in the hands of private concerns like six corporations that we now have today, <laughs> wow, right. interlocked corporations. Yes, um, and uh, we see this today because now uh, of a lot a of Catholics, even the Pope, the current Pope, has internalized the American ideology. I think it was in September 2015 he talked about the separation church and state is the model and the integral or confessional state simply doesn't work, which is a contradiction. Right. right. Yeah. Of church teachings,
3: uh, yeah, personal. I think you could argue that the on the side of the papacy, uh, Benedict the fifteenth, the beginning of the cracks because he supported the League of Nations, mm-hmm. and um, of course successors to him uh, were less less uh, amicable to this kind of a thing. But yeah, I don't think there's there's not much debate that uh, that you know from John the twenty third on, you essentially get. This line of thinking. I mean, I've read a large portion of the encyclicals of all of the popes after, uh, well, I've read a lot of the 20th century encyclicals, but I've read John the uh, 23rd, I've read Paul the 6th, I've read, you know, uh, m- many of John Paul the 2nd and Benedict, and they all are in unison there about. The you know the the confessional state basically done. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a relic.
4: Um, now see that that's <laughs> it's funny because again as Americans you know we grew up in a you know in a uh, again a, a, a society where there
3: is no state church, right? Uh, and and yeah. ironically for me I never questioned that until I became a Calvinist, and it was it was ironically Calvinists of all people that got me questioning that, not because they so much ad- adhere to a confessional state but in certain strands of calvinism you have the idea that the moral law of god has to apply to the civil sphere it doesn't make any sense and it's not coherent to try to argue that you know god has all the attributes that that you believe he has like like omnipresence and Mm -hmm. omniscience and that you know all areas of life are essentially under his his providence and sovereignty well then it it only logically follows that the moral law also extends into all areas of life and if that is true which obviously is then <laughs> that applies to the civil spheres as well and you know as a calvinist i was pretty ignorant of church history but then when i deeper I, I delved into church history you've learned that well this is the normative view of the church the church even the early church fathers prior to the christian christianization of the kingdom supported the death penalty they supported uh the 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 theory of just war on and on and on and they did that because of their view of scriptures they saw a unity between the old and the new testaments they didn't teach Marcionism Uh, and when you read the history of the church and you see countless kings converted to 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 Christianity and then essentially setting up uh, Christianity as the confessional religion that's the norm and everybody knows this from from countless examples in church history Uh, I was just watching a documentary on Byzantium and uh, (laughs) Empress uh, Theodora uh, built a giant church to 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 patron saints of the byzantine army the army had <laughs> patron saints <laughs> that is not that how far as night and day from what we're talking about with the idea of uh essentially the secular atheist state and by the way i'm going to do uh eventually firing the minds of men and uh I've, I've read not a lot of i've read about i don't know five chapters of firing the minds of men and and already we're coming to see that that uh the you know billington is is honest in his and he's an apologist like he's pro you know revolutionary america Mm -hmm. he's saying basically what wim is saying is that the spirit of 1776 is the spirit of i mean he doesn't talk about vatican too but he's saying that that is the the logical end result of of the spirit of 1776 is essentially complete religious freedom god doesn't have anything to do with the the civil sphere uh blah, blah 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 but uh again whether you're Roman Catholic or whether you're Orthodox, everybody knows that the double-headed eagle is the ancient symbol of the church, and that's because it represents church and state under God.
4: Yes, symphonia,
3: right? Right. Which even the the I mean, this the same principle in, in Catholicism too. I mean, the Austro-Hungarian Empire symbol is double-headed eagle. So mm-hmm.
4: now, with of course, America itself um, uh, is is it different. It's the it's the first state that was established that 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 what that did have this uh, non establishment uh, right. church you know the separation church state which really isn't in the constitution Thomas Jefferson, right?
3: It's Jefferson and Roger Williams and those Baptist groups. uh
4: So really, I mean, obviously, you really can't have that. It's not reason; it's an excuse to sort of purge religious influence from the public square and inject secular humanism or ideology or some secular ideology in there because nature abhors a vacuum. Someone's values will indeed prevail. It's a question of whose.
3: Yeah. You know. However, I I don't buy. I used to try to argue that you could read the documents as Christian, but i more and more don't really think you can because, let I me mean, just think about the conglomeration of people that that came together to draw them up. I mean, it's essentially ecumenical. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Let's get a bunch of Baptists and Congregationalists and atheists and Satanists and Deists and Masons and Episcopalians together and come up with an idea of government. Mm-hmm.
4: But nevertheless, <laughs> the Catholic Church. Um... Uh, and this, Wilmhoff writes about this in his book is is the allure of America, I think you alluded to earlier, is, is that it offers material prosperity, a lot of goodies, a lot of baubles and things that, it, you know, gadgets Correct. and things like that. And so, uh, Trish, we've always been, uh, I mean, obviously, you can't, man cannot have two masters. Uh, what does it profit mm-hmm. a man who loses, his, you know, if he gains the whole world loses a soul? There's an acknowledgement in, in traditional Christianity about this temptation, you know, even, right. even Jesus in the desert and these things being offered all the principalities and powers, dominion over them, and him rejecting it. But um, right. the um, what am I getting at here? Here, um, the uh, idea that um, well, the corruption of the of America of Americanism. Uh, vis-a-vis the Catholic Church. This, this uh, why Americanism pervades the Catholic Church. Not just Vatican II, but long before that's what David Wilmhoff writes about. Is that um, life in America relative, like maybe life in Ireland or even uh, you know Germany in the mid 19th century was very nice. Catholics Catholics come here. There were restrictions, but they prospered. They did well relative to their cousins back in the old country. So they gained a certain amount of loyalty to America based on their on their financial. Prosperity on their material prosperity. So they became dire Loyal to that Mm -hmm. and this was the source is is (laughs) Their material comfort again is is what makes them Americanists And so they they'd have to become loyal to the state and so they start to come to believe that the state being ideal as opposed to The Catholic Church prior to the 60s saw uh, the situation in America sort of the Catholic Church having a practical relationship to to what the uh, the state was In fact the Catholic Church always had this, always took a practical approach to what government was in power at the time, right? right. And so it, it yeah. said, okay, this is the state, the current situation, the way it is. It was somewhat ameliorated by the fact that America was so decentralized. And again, we talked about these ethnic neighborhoods in in the north, in the Midwest, and these things. So that had an effect of sort of ameliorating these things. America wasn't quite the empire yet. It became more of a problem when she became an empire in the in the uh, latter half of the twenty, in the, you know after after the second well going leading into the Second World War. Um, But you have uh, the Catholic Church relation to traditional states like Spain or Portugal, where the church became internally hostile to like Franco Spain or Salazar's Salazar's Portugal, or what happened in Italy in the 1940s. And of course, this was Henry Luce because Henry Luce's wife was the ambassador to Italy. And you Mm -hmm. talk about uh, it wasn't just Henry Luce. There was, it was Notre Dame here in, in America who was the pining for Rockefeller funds but also mm-hmm. this outfit but pro dare university in, in Italy
3: yes the yeah. CIA set up yeah university yeah. right
4: but the the point is that the that the the church itself became hostile to uh confessional or integral states like Franco Spain
3: mm-hmm.
4: in the name of democracy
3: right and yeah. everybody knows that that is the norm in the history of the church the church is not and and there's a thousand different lies and and made up nonsense that that people try to use to justify this they'll talk about oh but the early church well the early church was busy christianizing the empire and dying to make the imperium you know christian Mm -hmm. right so so you you can't look to you know martyrs uh, as if as if that is the goal uh, no, the goal, as the prophets predicted many times over throughout the Psalms, throughout major and minor prophets, is that the nations and the kings of the earth would convert to Christ, and they did. And that's that's one of the reasons we know Christianity is true is all these prophecies in uh, the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms predict the fact that the kings of the nations will convert to Christ, and they did. And by the way, their kingdoms converted, and it's only they understood properly and correctly that you can't banish god from the civil sphere once you do that as many wise men have noticed you get a new god you don't get secular state you get a new god Uh, and and this is interesting because many of these esotericists and occultists uh, and degenerates uh, they're more than happy to put a new god into place (laughs) because (laughs) you fell for the you fell for the goofy lie that uh, you would get, you know, no God, you would get neutrality. No, you get a new, you get a new master, right? You, no man can serve two masters, uh, which assumes that you're serving one or the other one. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's no neutrality. You're not, Jesus has no neutrality in that, in that equation there. So anyway, but yes, uh, uh, it's, it's, again, it seems so far-fetched to anybody who grew up in America, the idea of a confessional state, but, you know, it's just a fact. That's the reality of the history of the church. It's not an aberration. Uh, of the early church, that itself, which is what many Protestants, many Americanists rely on, is simply not true. That's a mythology that they could, that that Baptists and Seventh Day Adventists really popularized this idea that Constantine uh, fundamentally changed the the constitution of the church into something that it wasn't before, and that's simply not true. You can you can read countless hundreds of pages of church fathers prior to uh to Constantine who taught the exact same thing as the church fathers after Constantine. They didn't fundamentally change anything. The liturgies were the same. The the views of the of the of the doctrine of the church were the same, the views of the legality of the state, you know, Paul in Romans 13 says the state has the sword as a minister of God. Now, Paul doesn't believe, he's not saying the state is God and by the mere fact that he lost his head as a martyr <laughs> yeah. uh, by the state shows that he didn't believe that the state could do anything. No, it's limited by the law of God, obviously. Uh, and so, you know, the early church had the same view, but they also at the same time recognized the legitimacy of the state to wage just war and to punish evildoers. As Paul says, that's what the sword is. It's the death penalty. Um, this has been, this is another element that a lot of people miss too, is, is pacifism, the pacification uh, the same problems, by the way, in Catholicism and in Orthodoxy. So what goes along with a lot of this Americanism is also, magically, the promotion of pacifism. Now they'll talk about how uh, the the New Catechism does this, although, but, uh, oddly enough, the, the New Catechism for Catholics still retains, I think, some weird statement about how it is the traditional position, but... The death penalty is no longer needed with, you know, all the modern inventions that we have or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, John Paul II was a huge crusader against the death penalty. Now, a lot of people don't see this as that big of a deal. I do, because it's a clear example uh, of one of these cases where we can see the banishment of God from the civil sphere uh, as a as a clear departure from traditional teaching. Uh, so whether you're Orthodox or whether you're, you're a Roman Catholic, uh, the entire history of the church has affirmed the death penalty. It's never been doubted, except for you, there might have been some um, rigorous church fathers, you know, early on, who, by the way, probably weren't sainted, somebody like Tertullian or somebody like that, who's not, not a saint, by the way, uh, who might have doubted it. Some of, the, some of the ascetics might have doubted it. But the normative conciliar canonical view is that the Imperium, it's in the Code of Justinian, by the way, who is a saint in Orthodoxy, you know, the death penalty is there. Uh, It's it's in canon law in certain cases has been mentioned Um, I
4: think it applies to pederast priests
3: it used to absolutely yeah, Yeah. I think uh, even Justinian's code has uh, pederasty as a death Mm -hmm. penalty. So uh, Yes, so in other words One of the things by the way that that uh, leftists talked about to alter culture and I'll give you an example. In the Goldless Book series, H.G. Wells says this. He says, promote pacifism and the removal of the death penalty. Why would, why would that be? Well, because that is a, an anti-patriarchal, anti-masculine, anti—it's it's an alteration in the civil society, which ends up basically rewarding criminals. Because what happens is criminals get uh, basically put up in prison, and society then pays for the criminal.
4: I mean that was the whole so, the original concept of outlaw was you no longer had protection of the law.
3: Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much you were just outside
4: the law, acting outside law as you were no longer protected by the law. You were mm. it was a form of extreme ostracism, and then you were no longer, and then we can do anything they wanted to you.
3: <laughs> well, oh, that might be. I would probably be better than the than, than the <laughs> idea of a giant uh, private for-profit for penal system by yes, which yes, people can commit heinous crimes, and then taxpayers are punished by having to pay for this guy, which is preposterous. Now, you know, I, yes, I understand that, uh, our system is corrupt. So I'm not saying that we should give all of these, uh, uh, evil people in America, you know, like free reigns to just kill everybody. No. But what I'm saying is that just, just simply speaking, the, not in terms of every single case, but just considering the doctrine itself, the doctrine of the death penalty,
4: everything comes, everything comes commodified or, Yes. In the United States, even crime, because now you know, Correctional Corporation of America trades on on Wall Street.
3: Yes, but, <laughs> Stock but market. right, right, right. And that, <laughs> that makes the issue a little more complex. But just on, yeah. the, on the on the question of the legality yes. or normativity of the death penalty in terms of traditional theology, there's no question. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's crucial to understand that the 20th century liberal theologians, well, I guess it would kind of begin with the higher critics, but it becomes popularized along with social gospel and by the socialists, and by the communists, by the Marxists, by the leftists, and by the pacifist capitalist democracy promoters, they all want to get rid of the death penalty, and that's a big piece that a lot of people people miss because it has the effect of essentially creating a completely different... It's, it's just part and parcel of the idea that God's not involved in the civil sphere, that, that you have a public agreed-upon you know, ecumenical view, and then you have your own private religion. Yeah,
4: it's almost like I've taken a, a, a non uh, spiritual, non religious uh, example or analogy would be uh, like the right to bear arms, where yeah. practically speaking, no one's going to raise arms against the state. But nevertheless, there's something to be said about uh, uh, expecting every man to be armed to pr- be able to protect himself against marauders or criminals. This creates sort of a masculine, manly attitude, and, and it sort of it creates a it stronger community, and which adds to self-governance. So there's something. It's sort of a. It's it's, it's it's It's. Well, at times it can be rather practical if someone's breaking your house, but it's more. Some, it's also very symbolic, which is why the type yes. of people who defend the death penalty and gun rights tend to be more of a heartier sort, if you know what I mean.
3: <laughs> they do, and uh, <laughs> the type and of so people that, you
4: want as neighbors.
3: <laughs> and when you you can go through the history of theological texts over the last two thousand years, and eat meat. and. No. <laughs> and they do. Yeah, they're not vegan soy boys. In many cases, you'll find that the the sources for why you can defend yourself, uh, which again is an application of the death penalty, by the way, uh, is is Exodus. Because uh, I think it's Exodus uh, 20 or 22, uh, specifically mentions the right of self-defense. And so the normative view of the history of the church was not that, oh, well, that's in the Old Testament, it doesn't matter. No, it does matter because it's a principle of moral law that you have a right to self-defense.
4: hmm but uh, back to uh, David Wemhoff, as he was, I, was, uh, I don't know if it was in the book or as an interview. I think it was an interview because of the context of, of what he was talking about. He was talking uh, about, um, well, Catholics in America, Catholics who do well in America, who climb up the totem pole, who kind of work their way up the, the slimy political grease pole and, and attain power. They all have to uh, shed their genuine Catholicism to attain power or success within the American system. So essentially speaking, you cannot be, really be a successful Catholic and be a genuinely Catholic in America you have to uh compromise yourself. And one example he talks about was uh when I think it was Amy who was that uh, uh, judicial Amy Barrett was her name, the judicial point C. Uh she's Catholic and uh, uh I think Senator Feinstein was worried about her dogma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Now, of course, no Jewish appointee ever gets that question about the Talmud. And does mm-hmm. the Talmud affect your jurisprudence? These are things. This is something, the double standard we always, we get. Catholics are always confronted with this question by liberal Jewish senators on the
1: Judiciary Committee. <laughs> mm-hmm. Confirmation. And no one ever questions them about their
0: More than once, actually. Do I have to say?
2: Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at slotscom Play for free right now. Are you feeling
1: lucky? No purchase necessary. Void required prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: Dog, mother, doctrine, which is abortion and pornography, but it's a whole other issue. But, um, the, uh, uh, he says, uh, "Well, you know, he, she got a lot of flack for that, and the, the typical people like uh, Donahue, uh, you know, Donahue, the uh, Catholic. You what's know, that? What's his outfit?
3: Uh, yeah, I know. We're talking about the organization. Yeah. that's like a watchdog thing. Yeah, yeah, you
4: know, you're you bigoted against Catholics. Blah blah blah. It says, but his point was, in a way, the senator was correct. There is something about essential or true Catholic doctrine that is inconsistent with the American system." Oh uh, yeah, of course. And so a, a Catholics in a way, even American Catholics, their proper role in America is not to have a place at the table. It's there to be outside and maybe wagging a finger and, 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 and at the very least exerting some sort of influence. But the moment they try to succeed in America, they they lose their identity and what, what essentially makes them Catholic and we see that with Americanism. And would wouldn't you agree? Of course yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> absolutely i mean they, 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 people don't get that anymore because you know we see there's a, every catholic politician is a sellout <laughs> right i
3: mean
4: one degree or another even well, it, yeah, warmonger I mean, for sheldon adelson you know
3: it's like you know power in america requires money and yeah money requires you to give up principles so the only I mean, real is, is
4: not relative is, poverty but, but, and yeah, yeah. But this is that good life again. This is what one talks about. The seduction of America is the the good life, and you can do well right. here. And because of that, even priests with their brick and mortar—that's op- what they worry about. The, the bishops they worry about their operations, and as long as they don't lose their tax status, they won't be militant.
3: Well, if the church right. is militant,
4: and it's nothing.
3: Yes, yes, it's and five hundred one c is a is a, it was a long time scam too, which a lot of people don't know. But that was a way for the the government to trap churches into not having political speech.
4: I think that was the Johnson administration that did that when that was created. Mm-hmm. If I get that correct, um, you
3: know, um, but, 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 but going along with the 501 C three tax exempt status also means you're accepting Americanism because you're accepting that I'm not going to apply my, Theology to the civil sphere.
4: Yes, <laughs> the but they world. but they can apply their their theology
3: and they will absolutely to
4: everything, right? And, and witness how Obamacare makes the Catholic Church. You know, everyone's worried about freedom of religion, and you know they're upset because Obamacare was going to make a Catholic, the Catholic Church, you know, uh, subsidize abortion and mm-hmm. birth control
3: and what they describe as well <laughs> yeah i mean productive health like taxpayers are going to be paying for trannies so yeah you thought you thought morality won't be legislated but uh no it will be legislated and you'll be you'll be supporting the most satanic stuff imaginable
4: now the role of foundations i'm going to bear with me i'm going to read this and get your comment There is. Yeah, this is a, E. Michael Jones' book, Judd Cardinal Kroll and the Cultural Revolution. This was a great uh, sort of a just a, sort of a synopsis or, or, or summation of how Foundation. He he says foundations really constitute what he calls a secret government. Sure. They undermine undermine real government, and he i uh, here here I'll I'll read it. It says Rene Rene Worms, a Reese's legal assistant, throughout the hearings, documented in a book published in 1957. Not only the dangers posed by foundations to the institutions of the republic, but also the influence those foundations and their political allies were bringing to bear on the nation's cultural institutions. The great foundations, Ford, Rockefeller, Carnegie were for the most part founded as a result of the New Deal as an attempt to prevent the flow of family money into the coffers of the federal government under the tax policies instituted by Roosevelt. Created from the wealth of this country's major capitalists, the foundations soon applied the techniques of cartel of the cartel rather, and the trust to the flow of information and re- reconfiguration of culture. The foundations would put up money which would serve as venture capital in the politics of change. Foundations mm-hmm. like those run by the Rockefeller Brothers would fund projects like Kinsey sex surveys, which would, have, yep. which would have been otherwise impossible to support given the constraints of democratically elected government or the simple satisfying of market forces. The foundations would fund research which they uh, found congenial and almost invariably involved instigating social change away from a position of congruity with the moral law. They involved more than often than not, as the Keynesian studies did, the substitution of scientific data for moral principle. And then when the project had received a modicum of public acceptance, the foundations would turn the funding of the projects over to the government. This was by and large the mechanism of cultural revolution in this country. The foundations would fund the undermining of some law, generally having to do with sex, the family morals, or religion. The courts would remove any legal roadblocks. And the press would proselytize for whatever social change entailed, given the widespread dissemination of the scientific surveys, which the foundations funded. And eventually the government would set up programs based on what the foundations proposed, funded by government money, of course. The government's involvement in in contraception is one of the instances of general rule that we will examine in greater detail later. But uh, I thought that was a great description of this this closed loop that appears sort of dynamic and free, but it really just it's all a closed system.
3: It is. Yeah. It reminds me of not too long ago, a couple of years ago, flipping through NPR. I don't ever listen to it, but I just happened, you know, after like never listening to NPR, just one day (laughs) randomly flipping to it. And I hear this uh, ad for vaccines and it was talking about how uh, it it was something like just kind of mind blowing. I don't don't remember exactly what the ad was, but something like, you know, uh, be sure to get vaccines because you know, we're trying to, Really help the world's population to to uh, stabilize, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not joking. I was like, it's "Like Bill know, Gates is initiative," like, and it, and it was said paid for by the Gates Foundation, and so it was like a two minute blurb about how everybody getting vaccines will help world population to stabilize, and you know we you know, of course we know Bill Gates says that you know in his TED talks he's talked about a couple of before that, that the vaccines are intended to do this. But this was not geared towards the third world; it was geared towards domestic population. Mm-hmm. Like he's saying, "You guys in America, please get your vaccines." Uh, <laughs> you know, and he, you know, he talks about the death panels and all that. So again, not surprising, but it was just interesting to just randomly turn on NPR and hear that, and then hear the Gates Foundation you know, paying for this ad. And um, uh, what was it? Somebody said something about Oprah. And oh, Oprah! Oh, Oprah having a um, abortion parties. So what she's what Oprah's trying to promote is this: is uh, instead of women feeling shame for getting abortions, uh, having abortion parties. You can't make this up. Oprah is promoting women having abortion parties, like like you were having like a baby shower.
4: What gift do you bring to that like an empty pair of shoes or something yeah
3: something very something very macabre obviously but, yeah um but the reason I bring that up is because oprah yeah and there's a hashtag for a shout your abortion or something but oprah um she attends one of those yearly meetings with uh Rockefeller and all and Bill Gates and all that
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, about you know third world and depopulation and all that so the reason I'm the point I'm saying is that 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 yes that, that this they they will even openly say that this is done to you know it's it's done under the cuff but it, it's done in plain sight but but the foundations are able to subvert the normal channels of government because they're not under under government purview so. And that's been the case, you know, for a long time, all the yeah. way back there.
4: They also fund the education system, the colleges, the universities. Mm-hmm. And even Norman Daw talked about that way back. Yes, then. that's
3: what. what yeah. yeah, that's why I was bringing that into Fordham University and then trying to, you know, influence Orthodox churches on on their sexual morals.
4: Mm-hmm. And it, it t- everything is like apparently you're, you tr- tyrannical evil if you don't support the big gay agenda. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the big push. Everything is just. gay 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 everywhere you're a bigot yeah yeah and it's uh you know just not that the flags but if you go you know headlines and news stories that are selected in these things you know even celebrities you know reports of celebrity lifestyles course, celebrities have always been used to degrade and promote degenerate behavior
3: well but what you were reading from uh from e michael jones there that jives very well with with McGowan. So, you know, Dave McGowan's talking Mm -hmm. about kind of like the Pentagon intelligence angle of it. And he's talking about the foundations driving the the counterculture and and makes perfect sense because it's the same people, you know, controlling the Pentagon. who are in who are in these these foundations.
4: Yeah. And of course, they're the ones that flooded the country with LSD. Exactly. Which is now common knowledge. People still don't make that connection. (laughs) You know, um, you know, there's a documentary called Berkeley in the 60s. And yeah. it talks about the, the free speech movement in Berkeley, 64, 65. And it's kind of all clean cut and everything. But by 1969, everyone's just these, you know, zombified hippies. And they're interviewing the people and all their, their memories are of all the sex they had. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so a serious sort of uh, sober... Anti-war movement that could shine some light and criticism on the on the system was was again destabilized or up uh, destroyed by by of course degenerate sex you know which is the, oh
3: you yes know. that reminds me too since we've talked uh, I covered Boer's book in total did you hear those books? yes I did yeah Walter Bugg yes yeah. and he backs up all that too he actually talks about the uh, Tim Leary essentially being commissioned to create a cult like cre- create the Tim Leary cult and and Leary was able to sell his uh, nonsense through uh, saying it was a right. Mm-hmm. You have a right to this. The exact same thing, the way abortion was sold. This is your right. And the man is keeping you down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's in other words, even uh, it's, once again, there's another, another, testament to, uh, uh, counterculture being essentially establishment driven, uh, you know, in the, in the, that's the, best, the The overall thrust of the board book is, is to back up that thesis.
4: Yeah, the sort of this uh, the big anti-natalist push, which is not done sort of, you know, directly through forced abortions like in China, where they could get away with it and one child yeah. policy, but just through the cultural, change, you know, sort of the culture, the different, the changing expectations where, again, women are supposed to just presume that women, uh, a woman who goes to college and doesn't want to get married, she wants to have a career. Well, for, to what end? To what end?
3: You know, uh... right? Which is the the idea of the creation of the narcissistic individual, which mm-hmm. is again another psychological warfare technique to create the the uh, completely, you know, self centered kind of sociopathic, psychopathic individual, which is a big part of what social media is now doing. Uh, you know, you have even the, I'm sure you've heard this, you know, the the executives coming out saying. Oops, sorry, we created a giant narcissism machine that destroys society. Sorry about that. Oops. Sorry oops. about that, by the
4: way. It's like, oops, we created a drug culture.
3: Oops. <laughs> oops, yeah. Sorry, we, we didn't mean to do that. Uh, Vietnam was a mistake.
4: Yeah. Oops. Yeah. You know, we dropped 250 tons of bombs on Cambodia. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we're just so stupid. We you know, what can we, can we do? But, yeah, I mean, it's one of these things where, um, uh, you know, once uh, – Again, uh, you, you ask yourself, what, what constitutes the good society? And you look how it's come out. I mean, I was just thinking about the other day, you know, all these corporately owned daycare centers. You know, they're, they probably are owned by corporations that are traded on walls on, on the stock market. Mm-hmm. And people, there are people who invest in these things in their for, in their you know 401Ks. Mm-hmm. and they may even be kind of against that but they're investing in these corporations that are making money on dysfunctional or dis, uh, family uh, you know family dissolution but it's become corporatized become a profit because the culture has been changed where this is so prevalent now that you can have corporations that are based on uh on you know dysfunctional or warehouse children and it just feeds itself it's the same way that you know corporations are capitalized by by the the, by the drug money that's being flown in the, you know, that that's being smuggled into the communities, but Cath, yes. Catherine Austin Fitz talks about.
3: Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. I want to get to uh, the John Cloy book, McCloy book, mm-hmm. the, the politics of heroin eventually, which, which deals with all that. But um, yeah, you start to realize that, that there's a scientific technique to all these areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it really is a full spectrum system. Um, like, talks about it's it's every one of these areas has a uh, a very specific well it, the, the reason that that it's they're able to do that is i don't know if you saw in one of the talks that I, I think it was in the talk that you're talking about there the subversion you know i showed you that i showed that graph that shows all the media people mm-hmm. uh that's a really helpful graph because
0: more than once, actually. Do I have to say?
2: Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You
3: could get lucky anywhere playing at luckyland Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Volume prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. People have a hard time with understanding this kind of stuff if they're new to it or if they're. You know, well what do you what's this Bilderberg group? How does it relate to the C F R? How does that relate to the Royal Society or whatever? Well, it's all the same people in different groups, different yeah. steering committees. And if you look at the fact that all the heads of every major media corporation that's the mainstream media, it's all the same people in the Bilderberg group. And it's all the same people in the CFR who are also trilateral commission. They're uh-huh. all in the exact same circles. I mean, it was a brilliant thing that whoever put that together. But uh Well people ask ones. her, is,
4: is there a conspiracy? And you say, Well, they're meeting here <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, they're coordinating. Okay, let's, let's call it, they let's not they're not conspiring, they're coordinating. Is that is that a better word for you? Has the CIA ruined that term yet, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but even you said to talk about to talk about conspiracy theory, but then there's there are official conspiracy theories that are marketed, you know, I don't know, like the Cold War.
3: <laughs> yeah, George Keenan right? And <laughs> right? Yeah. and Henry Luce. Mr. Uh, X, I mean, they christened uh, the the new conspiracy, which would be the Cold War and the Dulles brothers, right?
4: Osama bin Laden al qaeda mm-hmm.
3: that's a conspiracy mm-hmm. theory yeah. yes nine eleven is a conspiracy uh what's more there was another one that was more recent than nine eleven that was an official condone oh a russia gate
4: yeah
3: russiagate's an official condoned conspiracy theory yeah you know, so
4: you know, so again there're one you can believe in some some are more- i guess some conspiracy theories theories
3: are more equal than others. Uh, UFOs, uh, aliens—that's a government condoned conspiracy theory. That's retarded. <laughs> it's actually
4: well, it's actually yeah, actually been 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 uh, uh, promoted by the government. <laughs> exactly, absolutely. <laughs> we know about going in and and deceiving people about that to get that going. I think
3: I put that quote in the book too—that uh, great Brookings Institute quote uh, about UFOs, basically uh, seeing if that would be a way to move people away from from uh, Christian yeah that ethos i think i did stick yeah. that in the book and,
4: it, and cool. it does because people again it, almost like you know uh what do they call it? it's the second coming the, their idea is what disclosure i guess is there a form?
3: yeah yeah it would fit very well into a lot of uh yeah. new age and 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 as we pointed out as i've, I've said you know we're seeing a lot of these the former new atheists now that that new atheism is kind of dying in popularity a lot of those people are moving into you know, the ideas of the metaphysical, right? Oh, maybe Dawkins says aliens put us here, right? Maybe Panspermia is the, the mm. way so you can you can see how people can be transitioned out of <clears throat> materialism because it's not, you know, the human heart uh, is going to worship something that always will uh it doesn't do very well with rank materialism. So, you know, materialism is more like a phase to get people out of uh, you know, more traditional religious beliefs and then they're then they're willing to they're they're Primed their 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 putty for the acceptance of some you know new garbage.
4: And what's funny is, is first gets trashed with the, with when you when traditional religion gets marginalized is objective morality, which again is a stumbling right. block to the
3: oligarchs. Then, however, you uh, you suddenly get a an extremely objective morality about trannies and gays. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny how you you know we were supposed to have, not have uh, objective morality, but now we're dogmatically commanded, you know, on all these uh, yeah. Yeah. moral points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we talked about that yeah, before. Yeah. But,
4: but the, the thing is that the cultures is very hard to sort of reverse these things because when you start pointing out things like the I don't know, the normalization of daycare or two of uh, two earning families if the families are still intact. Uh, these things is you 're stepping on a lot of people 's toes, their lifestyle, their expectations, and what they what they should be, and they take offense to them, so it 's hard to talk about they don 't want to consider the fact that perhaps they're they've they 've themselves been engineered or manipulated, you know
3: the normalization of gay care. <laughs> yeah.
4: well yeah it's no thing is is it's yeah, going to be well it will because they'll that'll be infested if it, has, it hasn't yeah. already we've heard reports right. about you know the pentagon's daycare center and these things what's going on there <laughs> right the presidio yeah. um again you 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 warehouse kids and it's what do you what do you yeah you warehouse kids and it's easy to socially engineer them and subject them to these things that you know even schooling with vaccinations we just we just take for granted how we were all schooled growing up these large you know centralized buildings where you know we're we're subjected to this nonsense you know is this normal you know is this really healthy and you realize who who designed the school system right i mean it's like
3: yeah well it's it's prussian <laughs> model that makes yes.
4: pavlov and skinner yeah, skinner pavlov and uh you know uh dewey these people uh, who are malevolent um so well jay um you yeah, know coming up an hour 40 minutes anything else do you want to cover anything else do you miss anything or
3: uh no, that was a good talk. I think uh, you know, the, the essence of uh the thrust of the of the point was just that what we're seeing in in the Ukraine and, and in the Orthodox world is, is the same pattern of subversion that Wimhoff talks about. Uh in Catholicism it's happened in all the churches and that's crucial to understand because you know, we talk a lot in alternative media about uh uh you know, politics or geopolitics, or we talk about subversion of culture toxic culture but we have to understand that it also applies from the controller's vantage point to churches that's a big part of it too
4: yeah a lot of people who who are into this type of research sort of don't uh well they don't consider the importance of the churches in fact right exactly you know, exactly. They, you know they, the fact they you know some people think that they should just go away and uh mm-hmm. and uh you know, they're they're actually part of the tyranny but it's much more comp they're infiltrated and manipulated so it's a bit more complicated than that
3: right. You know, what, right really to understand what the role of the vatican plays now i couldn't give you a clear answer well and also now. too i'd like to add that that might dishearten some people because they might say well if, if the churches are bad too then let's just what's the point who cares yeah. now keep in mind that throughout the history of the church there have many there have been many many state actors that have attempted to control the church and failed
2: mm-hmm.
3: um one of the things i point out about orthodoxy is that in the history of, of the emperors, many of them were heretical. Many of them attempted to completely change the doctrine of the church. And the fact that the church did not lose its doctrine of the divinity of Christ and the Nicene Creed, you know, the basis of the Nicene Creed, mm-hmm. I think shows that, you know, the protection of God. Like if if it was just a human, human social institution, uh, it would have been turned... Bad long to, long ago yeah you know when, when you had basically for example iconoclast emperors right before the seventh council you had emperors basically trying to remove all the icons from all the churches and in, in, enact a kind of uh, Islamic style doctrine or something iconoclasm and uh, you know that didn't win <laughs> it's amazing it didn't win out you, you had Arianism you know in the in the fourth century when almost the entire empire uh, was Aryan or semi Aryan except for Saint Athanasius and a few bishops uh, and they ended up winning so mm-hmm. just because you know you have the minority opinion or because the state is trying to control the church, you know that's not a reason for being disheartened is what I'm trying to say because there are many 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 cases in church history, uh, and the state did not win
4: yeah there's a an account in the Bible that e michael Jones Reference when he was presented with that very question about the problems within the church, is to count the, when the, Jesus is on a boat with the apostles mm-hmm. on, on on the on the on the sea and a storm comes, and this you know, you know, the waters you know churning, the boat's about to tip over, and Jesus is sleeping.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's a good you point.
4: Know, finally, wake him up, and, Master. Here, <laughs> why aren't you sleeping? And he, then he calms the waters. But the whole point is that uh, right now we're in the middle of a storm. Absolutely, you know, yeah. and so it, it seems that way, and and maybe from our own standpoint, you know, this is people there were there have been martyrs, and this you know this uh, to a certain extent this is uh, because um, they had people have to suffer for their faith, for their beliefs, for their for their right. principles, and so it isn't always going to be easy to stand up to what you think is right, what you what you know is right, and you know for whatever the case, it'd be easy, but it isn't.
3: Right, so. right. The, well, the Christianization of the empire took three centuries of martyrs. So, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. uh, one other thing I would add, too, is, uh, you know, we can we can draw a lot of uh, insight from the Old Testament as well. Uh, a, a, a clear parallel would be the very degenerate history of Israel when the. When Jeroboam had basically set up a giant state-run sex cult, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the worship uh, at Dan and uh, Bethel, which 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 was the state uh, erected cult uh, that was set up as a way for him to control the northern kingdoms of Israel, as opposed to the legitimate worship, which was in Judah in the southern kingdom, where it was supposed to be at the temple. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of wisdom in that because his state-run sex cult, you know, pretty much took over. Uh, and, you know, if you know the history of Israel, this is what led to uh, the Assyrian captivity in the north and then the, the Babylonian captivity in mm-hmm. the south. So the point is is that it leads you into bondage, uh, and the, the, the chastisement of the period of bondage is what, of course, purged that away, and, you know, it leads to a better state down the road. So, uh, you know, don't lose heart. Yeah. So.
4: Well, Jay, um, thank you so much. Thank you, Tim. Uh, of course, uh, it's J J. Dire J's analysis, jaysanalysis.com. Um, author of Esoteric Hollywood, Sex, Cults, and Symbols in Film, and also the uh, soon to be released Esoteric Hollywood Two, uh, sometime next month.
3: Correct. Yep. Right. Thank you.
4: Thank you so much, Jay. I'll let you go, and I'll, I'll post this soon. When I do. I'll send you the. I'll send you the link. All right, Tim. Have a good night. Good night, then. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. Bye.
1: round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: Laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
2: Ah, <sighs> oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.
4: That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and
2: play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. Chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. Forward, by 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.